Yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Mango Masala Pie Radio's South Asian show. My name's Gerns, and nice of you to join us. I'm finally joined back by Halima, who's been MIA for a while. Where have you been, Halima? Not here, unfortunately. I'm back now. It's like, it's that um, it's that old clip from uh, when we did a, our show a few weeks ago where I was like, it's violent to say welcome <laughs> back. So I'm glad you're not saying welcome back. Actually, to be fair, I've been back for a while. I've been back for like a fortnight now. But um, yes, guys, I was on holiday yet again. And unfortunately, I am back. But fortunately, I am I am going again in two weeks. Where is it this time? Yeah. Oh, you can't even tell. Like, this is literally the worst conversation Muslim. ever. I'm too Muslim. <laughs> I'm too Muslim to say. Like, Sorry, can you guys. Tell us, can you tell us the continent? It's like far Europe. Okay. Shall we talk about the past then? How was your most recent trip, seeing as we can't jinx anything to do with that? It was really fun, actually. So I don't think I said it before, but I went to um, Belgium and Luxembourg. So I um, we was based in Brussels. So it was me and then like some of my, two of my sisters and three of my cousin sisters. Um, and we were in Brussels, we visit, visited Bruges, we visited Ghent, and then we went to Luxembourg for two days, and it was really nice. My family are, like, they're very funny. For those who follow me on Instagram and watch my stories, they are very entertaining, so you're never bored. Like, mm. you're just... it's it, Sometimes it feels like an idiot abroad. <laughs> like, when I'm travelling with my family, like, they're just the Plural, most typical... Though idiots abroad exactly <laughs> it, it, they are like just the most typical like asian cozy long side girl from ends do you know what i mean like and it's just hilarious when we're abroad together times times six times six <laughs> literally a group of us and but i what i do love about like cozy girls yeah like we don't really care like we really don't give a beep about where we are or who we're around like we're really just gonna unapologetically enjoy ourselves so it was very fun um you know I go traveling with my 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 sisters and cousin sisters a lot and this time around yeah and obviously I'm very like I'm generally very protective of them anyway um because a lot of the times like their parents let them come because like they trust me and like this time around I was I just became so aware of how like because they're not even young they're 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 adults right they're they're between the ages of like 24 to like 14 most of them are adults only my little sister's 14 but I'm literally so protective of them when we're walking like you know what it's like it's like school teacher vibes I feel like when I'm on holiday with them I feel like I'm an actual school teacher and I'm taking the kids on like a field trip on a school trip you know the way I'm literally like constantly marking attendance i'll literally go and stand in the road every single time they have to cross the road even though they're literally like 24 23 22 years old i don't let them out of my sight literally like you know those videos like ducks crossing the road that's exactly (laughs) what no that's exactly what it's like and then like a few days after i came back i went out with my friend and some of her family and we just went on like this hike and I remember we were crossing roads and I found myself like doing the same thing with her family just because like I'm so used to it. But yeah, oldest sisters for, yeah. But it was really fun. It was very fun. You know what? I would really recommend whoever's listening. You guys should really go to Luxembourg. Luxembourg really, really surprised me. 
It's actually a very nice place. It's very small, but very nice. You might have been enjoying your responsibilities, but you had a bit of a slip up, didn't you? At one point, shifting countries. No, that was not me. This And this is why, this is why. Uh, explain for the people what's happened. No, so so you know how I was saying that like, I don't, I do not let these girls out of my sight. They're literally 24, 23, 22. I do not let them out of my sight. Like they have to ask my permission. Even if they're going corner shop, they have to ask my permission. So this is the day that we're now, we're getting a coach from Belgium to Luxembourg. And we had like an hour before our coach and we hadn't eaten and they wanted sushi and the three of them wanted sushi and three of us didn't. So I was like, fine, get your food, meet us, meet us at the station. <clears throat> Tell me why. And by the way, to even save them time, because we had like 12 bags between six of us, right? I even said, you know what, me and, and I had the youngest two, right? I had a, I had a 19 year old and a 14 year old with me. And I was like, me and these two kids will carry... 12 bags between three of us so you lot can get your sushi. I even nice them. You don't even, even like nice sushi. Them. I don't even like sushi. I let, them, I let them go have their sushi. I even nice them. I said, I'll carry 12 bags with these two little kids. And we still made it to the uh, station on time because I'm very militant. Tell me why these lot missed their coach. Tell me why I've now crossed borders and half of them are, are, are across the border and I'm with their bags. Was there no part of you that was like, debating oh should i like get on the coach and leave or should i like stay keep the no because ultimately they're literally 24 23 (laughs) and 22 years old um and it made no sense to have to pay for a second coach when we could have just gone earlier um but even then even then they missed their coach and even then i was the one texting them go here say this do this be there for this time it's actually insane you know what it is? I think it's because they, they, oh my God, one of my cousins, she's literally, she's 23. Me and her have traveled to like 20, 20 countries together or something like that. She, to this day, every, and every time we go abroad, she doesn't know where we're going. She doesn't know where we are at any given moment. She literally just puts all her faith in me and just follows me. She will really follow me to the ends of the world and she will not even know where she's gone. That's why I feel like they get even, they get even like, they fall back even more because I'm so like. Well, Anna, so what does she do when you're not around? I don't think she's ever been on holiday without me. No way. No, she went to Paris last year with her friends, actually. I don't know. what she. No, they are capable of doing it. They're not incapable. It's just I'm such a control freak. And then when they're around me, they just know that, okay, I'm taking care of it. It's falling they don't even Literally head empty, no thoughts. Because they're like, yeah, we'll just follow her, do what she says. That's it. Well, it was very nice. And yes, I really recommend Luxembourg. Yeah, no, I've heard good things, especially I think in like, it's a good like winter trip. I've heard like that kind of, I know people have gone like around Christmas time and it's kind of nice. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No, I can imagine. To be fair, one of the reasons I loved it so much was because the sun was out. It felt like spring. The sky was blue. The sun was out. And I thought, literally, we had like two days of sunshine. It was the first proper sunshine we've had since probably like winter started. And wallahi, I'm not even joking. I was literally sitting there thinking, I can feel the depression leaving my body. I can feel the, the depression leaving my body. It was insane. Um, yeah. But it was a good time. Like in, it's like in Twilight when... Um... Edwards, you Bella's know, yeah. sat there watching the seasons change, <laughs> literally. No, not even literally. that. You know the bit where um, Edward goes into the sun and he starts like... Oh, <laughs> like, sparkling. The yeah. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, go on, speaking of holidays. Um, I've heard you've booked your honeymoon. Uh, well, Simran's going to be good that she's not here to hear about it, but yeah. And I mean, according to you guys, it's not information I should be sharing. But um, yeah, it's booked. It's going, it's a nice beach holiday. Yes. Yeah, nice. I have decided <clears throat> that, I, I, I decided this the other day, like very decisively, that um, I'm not seeing winter in this country again ever ever <laughs> at least the next couple of winters oh well, yeah to be fair surely Eid's gonna come back round soon isn't it no april 22 now it's but like in a couple of years oh oh it'll be like, winter time yeah 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 um no, I decided the other day, like, so obviously you guys know, like, I just don't really like being here and, like, the only time I feel happy is when I'm, like, not here. Um, but obviously, I've got a job here. Um, and... <clears throat> Masala. Yeah, but, yeah, but this she's, is she's, more like... She's never happy when she's here and she's only here when she records this, so... No, but you're, but this is more, like, remote. I could actually do this from anywhere, really, right? And now you've got your microphone... exactly exactly but the thing is is that i first i was like okay i want a remote contract so i can go i have decided literally like two days ago that even if i come winter time yeah let's just say come winter time job no job remote contract no remote contract i'm gone you're seeing that super nanny clip where it's like you'll never see this face again again. (laughs) yeah That's me, like, inshallah. God willing, if everything aligns, if I truly am God's servant, which well, I am. To be fair, you did it this year. Not not, not winter, but to be fair, you went away for Christmas. But you want to do full on away for, like, months. As in, like, right now, I can... The past couple of years, I've just been able to be in and out, in and out, in and out because of, like, job. Um, <clears throat> whereas I'm gonna... I'm gonna literally no strings attached no responsibilities nothing i'm just gonna go not care about the repercussions just gonna go and i'll figure it out all right i'll play music i just feel like we've got one one life and we need to live it sorry yeah play the music (laughs) why did that sound like the start of an eminem (laughs) (laughs) yes guys what's good you're tuned into mango masala pi radio south asian show my name's gerns i'm here with halima Wow, that was so speedy, the way you said that. Yeah, you weren't ready for it. You were like, still like... I wasn't. Processing. I wasn't. I'm on the ball. I'm still yawning because I'm knackered. Come on, we got to bring the vibes. I bought magnesium. So obviously, for those who listen to our show will know that I am like chronically fatigued because I have very bad anemia. And it is very bad. I don't take my iron supplements. I have a load of um, like vitamin supplements that my mum buys. That she spends a lot of money buying them for me, and I just never take them. But I have decided that I will. And I've been hearing a lot of things about magnesium. A lot of people have been like they've taken magnesium for a week, and their energy levels have just changed. So <clears throat> I bought two sets of magnesium supplements yesterday. Wow. And. I'm going to start taking them. Ask me in like two, three weeks time how I feel. Inshallah, I'm going to start taking them every day. Good for you. We're getting old. We're getting old, uh, Carlos. Like I'm 27 in seven months. That is abhorrent. To be fair, I thought it was less time than that, but yeah, still. 
months. Seven months is abhorrent. I feel like I just turned 26 the other day. In any case, I think we need to... Everyone says, like, late 20s, early 30s is when everyone starts, like, obsessively becoming, like, obsessed with their <laughs> their health and fitness and wellness. And I kind of... I'm starting to relate. I'm not, I'm not doing enough, really. My appetite is so weird. I didn't eat for, like... Oh God, you know what? You won't understand because you're not a woman. I wish Simon was here. But like your cycle, well, I don't know if you find this like living with your sisters and Mianka and stuff, but like your cycle affects your appetite so much. I mean, like you say, I have no idea, but I can imagine. Last week, I wasn't eating a meal. I, there was one day last week where I ate one meal in like three days. The second half of last week, I've been eating like a thief. And then obviously, as we've discussed before, your body, because of your... Um, ancestors is gonna be thinking oh we need to keep we need to keep storing keep storing oh my god carlos is shohid the bush today which is the 21st of february which is international mother languages day do we know the history of that no i just know it's pancake though no it's to the 21st of uh, it's it's a it's a un holiday it's a it's a it's a global holiday it's international mother languages day and basically it came from the bangladeshi um, language movement so basically what happened is that <clears throat> um, for those of you who are or aren't aware of like Bangladeshi history we did talk about it more extensively um, back in I think it was 2021 you know it was 2021 when we hit the 50th anniversary um, of Bangladesh's liberation but just a bit of a rundown because it is the it is, it's um, we call it like language martyrs day or we call it the lang- like uh, uh, international mother language day like there's lots of different names for it um, basically, obviously, when when we gained independence from the Brits, they split the subcontinent up: India, West Pakistan, East Pakistan. We were East Pakistan because we were Muslims, <clears throat> um, but it was actually more of an occupation. So, um, what is now the modern state of Pakistan basically tried to implement their whole culture and language onto us. So, even though we were already Bengali people, we spoke the Bengali language. <clears throat> we had Bengali culture that was very intimately tied to those languages and histories and all of those things and they tried to like really implement the the urdu language and like urdu pakistani culture because they thought like they're more islamically pure because we had more like of a hindu um uh influence on our on our culture on our our languages so the pakistani the west pakistani government were like okay we're outlawing like bangla and uh, urdu is now the compulsory language in all like government administrative purposes um, and obviously there were like a lot of um, protests against this. And then um, in 1952, on the 21st of February, 1952, <clears throat> there was a big protest at the University of Dhaka. And then eight students, eight Bengali students were killed by the Pakistani state in this protest. Um, and then that marked like the most significant kind of watershed in the language movement and a very significant watershed in the liberation movement at large because that's when it became like a very defined decisive language movement and anyone who knows Bangladeshi liberation movement was very tied to this idea of uh, we're our own people we deserve to have our own culture and language and identity and country basically um so for the next uh 19 years um the occupation continued and until 1971 like the Bengali people were literally fighting for this right to get to speak their own language. Um, and eventually we won the liberation war. Bangladesh became its own nation state. Bangla was the, uh, you know, the constitutional language. 
And as a result of that, the UN declared the 21st of February International Language Mothers, Mother Language mother language day um <clears throat> basically obviously it commemorates that specific in- incidents in that bangladeshi history but at large it's to kind of celebrate and, and and commemorate every demographic's right to speak their own mother language because anyone who knows anything about any kind of identity politics knows that language is such a pivot of of identity and um it you know it, uh um acceptance or refusal denial of a language is either a invitation or a denial of your right to perform your your culture and your cultural identity so all that to say it's it's completely crucial um and in that same vein whilst i'm obviously as a bangladeshi like extremely proud of like that history of my people and like how we were steadfast and we fought for our rights for our language and our and our personhood and our culture um <clears throat> it is i i am kind of a little bit disappointed not a little bit a lot disappointed um in the bangladeshi nation state today so bangladesh obviously fought this like um huge like decades long opposition that culminated in a very very bloody war against the state of pakistan for our right to be Bangladesh to be Bengali to speak Bengali um but actually one thing that a lot of people don't really know about and once again this is something that I've spoken more specifically on in our um Bangladesh's 50th independence video it's on YouTube for those who want to watch that um but one thing a lot of people aren't aware of is that and I understand why people get confused about this because Bang- although Bangladesh is very ethnically ethno-linguistically um homogenous it's not entirely ethno-linguistically homogenous that's to say that there's actually a number of other ethno-linguistic groups in the country more specifically the like the um indigenous people that or the tribal people or the hill people there's lots of different names for them um and actually there is an ongoing campaign from the bangladeshi government right now that that you know enacts linguistic oppression on these on these communities um when i did my master's um, I was actually studying the indigenous community in Bangladesh and I heard so many stories about how, you know, they would be, they would go to mainstream Bengali schools, these indigenous people. So they all have their own languages. They don't speak Bangla. Bangla is not their mother tongue. They're not ethnically Bengali. Um, however, they are Bangladeshi because they've, they found themselves within the nation state of, of Bangladesh, right? Um, <clears throat> so when they go to like mainstream Bengali schools, there are so many instances where they're literally not allowed to speak their mother tongue. Like they have to, there was one story that this one activist told me where when he was in school, um, he was filling out the enrollment form to join the high school or something like that. And um, he put down mother tongue. Um, it was one of the, the indigenous languages. And the head teacher came and crossed it out and said, no, 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 write Bangla. Like, so <clears throat> it's everyday instances of, of these things like still happening, which is extremely, extremely disappointing because it's like, if anyone knows what it's like to be linguistically oppressed, we do. Our entire country is literally founded on that basis of of linguist, ethno-linguistic freedom. We literally went and fought a whole nine-month bloody war with millions of that died that sacrificed their lives so that bangladesh could be like a free and fair nation we our founding constitution is a socialist constitution you know another thing like when i um one of the freedom fighters that i interviewed a couple of years ago 
um, he spoke about how like for him when he he was like 17 a teenager a young adult when he joined the war and he said for him the, the, not for him but like for, for everyone who all his comrades in the war the most important thing was that they really believed that Bangladesh was going to be a much better place if they fought this war and if we could be our own country like that it would genuinely be free from the shackles of like oppression so it's just so ironic <clears throat> then that we went and we we withstood decades of oppression and fought this war and won this war only for our own government now to enact that same kind of oppression on a, a, a different minority, you know? It's extreme, it's embarrassing. Um, and, and also like there's, uh, on, in the opposite vein, so, so you know how I said before, like language is a, a basic human right because it's a way to perform your cultural identity it's also a signifier, it's also a marker of cultural identity, right? And it's in the Bangladesh state's interest for the indigenous people to speak the Bangla language because it gets to absorb them into the state, right? <clears throat> However, there's an opposite trend where um, the uh, Rohingya refugees, so for those who don't know the history behind the Rohingya refugees, they come from Myanmar um there's a there's been decades long genocide enacted against them um by the monks in Myanmar <clears throat> and a lot of them have fled to Bangladesh because it's neighboring country um and a lot of them have attempted to like, obviously settle down in Bangladesh and kind of um reestablish their lives and uh, and there are so many examples of um these Rohingya refugees in like the kids in schools in, in Bengali schools Bangladeshi schools and um the teachers would be refusing to teach them Bangla like not letting them speak Bangla and it's an interesting thing because it's kind of like <clears throat> invitation to or preclusion to speak the language signifies an invitation to or a preclusion from citizenship right if suddenly these Rohingya refugees are able to speak Bangla and assimilate into Bangladeshi society, um, then the case for citizenship or naturalization or whatever becomes, uh, favors them a lot more, you know? So it's in the Bangladeshi state's interest to keep them alienated. And a way to do that is to deny them um, like the Bangla language. It's just, language is such a, complex thing it's such a heavy thing it's such a political tool it can be enforced on you in the same way that it could be taken away from you you know um so whilst like it's a great thing to commemorate and to celebrate you know international language mother language day <clears throat> it's also important to remember that in this kind of game of linguistic freedom, we're still very, very, very far from where we need to be. You know, I'm talking about Bangladesh as a as a nation state. So there's really two sides to the story. No, I think it is really interesting what you just said, and I didn't know the majority of that. I think as well the problem is when um, linguistics becomes um, intertwined with um, the concepts of borders, which are obviously, as we've discussed, like, like Halima says a lot of stuff on this show, and one thing that stayed in my head is that borders are inherently violent, like they are, and like the moment yeah. that you conflate um, language with that, obviously it's mm -hmm. going to stop being a good thing and a way to yeah. 
um, signify culture, etc., and it's going to end up being used in the wrong way. Exactly. It's this whole idea of citizenship and who has a legitimate um, means to belong in a country and who is illegitimate, right? And a way to decipher that is through a person's Bangla language ability or inability. It's it's man-made. It's a social construct, but that's yeah. how the, the state is using it. Like you say, it's so odd how on the one hand you've got people and you've got Bangladesh Bangladesh authorities trying to um, stop people from speaking any language other than Bangla but then the other hand you've got them refusing to teach it to the Rohingya refugees like like you exactly. were saying like exactly and, make it make and, sense and, and, exa- and, and it is because literally as I said it's either an invitation or a denial or a rejection you know it's either okay here we invite you to speak the language and therefore be a part of the state or we deny you the right to speak the language and therefore the right to be and belong in the state um which is obviously abhorrent like everybody should have linguistic freedom to speak whatever language they so wish um especially in the case when they're literally victims of genocide and they're trying to resettle and reestablish their lives but i don't know man let me not say too much about the Bangladeshi government. <laughs> it's time to get into a bit of You know, if you're gonna be an accessory to the theme tune, you have to do it properly. I thought mine was better than yours. I'm not gonna lie, I think my rendition was better than yours. Mm, Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Getting serious now. Um before we get into Bad Vibes Island, just wanted to touch upon because I don't think we've actually talked about it um, in the past couple of weeks. Um, and I think the reason for that is just because there's not really much that there is to say on it. Um, but just obviously what's going on in Turkey and Syria right now mm. is horrendous. And obviously the fact there's been yet another earthquake as well Second recently. One. Yeah. It's it, like, it feels apocalyptic, right? Like this. Yeah. I don't know if it's the, the the Muslim in me, but really, like. Yeah, no. For so much damage to happen, like from a natural disaster to happen to one place in particular, yeah, no, it does feel like that. Like almost back to back. Like, can you imagine having to having gone through that? Because the death toll was literally like in the the. What was it again? Do you, I, do you remember? I, think, I feel like it's 30,000, if not more. It, it was in the tens of thousands. Like, yeah. it, it, it was massive. It was huge. Can you imagine having to contend with the magnitude of of that kind of loss only for for, for, for tragedy to strike again? Do, do we know if there's been a t- death toll for the second earthquake? Or? I don't think. I just, I've just read that there are people trapped under rubble again. I guess we'll be hearing that over the next few days, right? But I, yeah, I heard yeah. it was massive because they heard they, they felt it in like the surrounding countries and stuff. So, like I say, there's not really too much that can be discussed no, there. That's, there are, that's helpful, but no, there are a lot of um, like on the ground relief efforts though that obviously we encourage people to donate to. Yeah, and if, obviously you hope that. Us all of the people involved in that are doing okay as well, given the recent earthquake. Mm -hmm. Returning to this island, though... One tragedy after the other. Yeah. (laughs) Where does that... So, just in order to discuss the following topic, I think it's necessary to touch upon 
an incident that happened in the past couple of weeks. We're not going to delve into this incident because it is an ongoing case and it's not for us to place our opinion on at this present time. But um, for people that don't know, um, a couple of weeks ago in Warrington, which um, did hit particularly hard for me, given that's where my, my, my hometown as well, like I was shocked to hear that something like this would happen there, um, a 16-year-old transgender girl, um, Brianna Jai, um, was found in a park dead with multiple stab wounds. Um, it's my understanding that um, since then, um, uh, two um, people, children actually, um, of a similar age, um, have been arrested and subsequently charged with her murder. Um, obviously, from the start, the police were um, reluctant to label this as a hate crime until such evidence um, made itself known. Um, but I, th- I believe they are open now to like thinking about whether it will be, whether it, it they're open now as to whether this is a hate crime. Now, like I said, obviously this is an ongoing court case and it's not for us to discuss this in person. Just in terms of like the facts, what's the police's, the authorities' reluctance in naming this a hate crime? Is it because they, they just don't know, they can't say for definite what the motivation was or... I think the reason why they were reluctant to do it was at the start, they said there wasn't evidence to suggest that it was, and now they're open to it. So as to whether certain evidence has presented itself, I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, like I said, obviously this is an ongoing court case and it's not for us to speak on as to whether quote-unquote justice will be served, etc., because it's not our responsibility. Um. However, obviously, solidarity goes out to Brianna Jai's um, family and friends and has rocked um, the LGBTQ plus community across the country. And I think especially at a time where obviously trans rights have been in the news massively. We obviously between us like and any any listeners with like at least minimum three brain cells can kind of assume Edu- you know make an educated assumption on their own opinion yeah. on on perhaps what the motivations were um yeah. especially when we live in the political climate that we live in um yeah. and and you know um and there are <clears throat> a number of ways to to politicize and like intellectualize her death but like and 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 why and whether or not we're able to sit here and 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 partake in any of that conversation and that discourse, I think first and foremost, ultimately, what this is 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 a tragedy, and like it is, it like she's a she was she's a child, like sixteen years old. She's actually a child, and it's not just the manner in it's it's not just the fact that you know this is a very very untimely demise. It's the manner in which she was taken to be found. To, to be found with multiple stab wounds like obviously we're not passing comment on whether or not it is these people that have been charged that have committed this but if they have it's worth bearing in mind that the people that actually committed this crime are obviously of such a young age as well like these people right. would have only been entering secondary school at the start of the pandemic which 
Right. Again. And do you know what it is? And this is with us without making any kind of conclusive statements or anything. No child at that age <clears throat> would know how to go and brutally murder a peer if it was not something that they had learned from somewhere else. Whether or not transphobia was a motivation or whatever. And, and, and this is us just taking precautions because we're on radio. Because, as I said, personally, we know what we think. But whether or not that was the motivation or it was a benign... It was it was a mindless... Sorry, not benign. It was mindless. It was random. Whatever it was, no child is able to enact that kind of violence unless they have learned it from somewhere else. Yeah, And I think that is where the conversation needs to be aimed because if for me that's very radical behavior to go out and brutally murder a peer is very it's it's radical behavior right now now if 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 two children in this instance were able to go and learn that from somewhere else wherever they've learned it from other children can learn it from there as well, right? Whatever, once again, we're saying this is whatever the motivation was. Even if it was violence for violence's sake, you know, they learned that from somewhere. Because I don't believe any child is inherently naturally born with the tendency and the capacity to go and brutally murder a peer, especially at that age. Um, so that's really where I think the focus needs to be. Where did this? Where did these children learn this kind of behavior from? Um, <clears throat> what emboldened them to do something like this once again regardless of what the motivations were and w- how did they get the means you know how did they get the means um, and whatever kind of cell that that incubated their radical behavior who was a part of that cell what is that cell preaching and who else might have been privy and victim to that to that to that kind of incubation radical incubation right and i think as well this kind of is a good segue into what i wanted to talk about as a whole in the sense of who is privy to this sort of thing i i believe personally the answer is a lot of people right now um i think pretty much over the past 10 years i think especially I feel like obviously this type of thing has always kind of been going on, but I f- do feel like Brexit was a big turning point in terms of it emboldening um, more radical right right wing Brexit um, and um, Trump Brexit and, and Trump's presidency. Yeah, which is mad People because twenty sixteen obviously people think oh it's um, it's not oh, even it's our America. country like but yeah. obviously has its effects like what you see online what you hear the largest political power in the world of course it's gonna yeah. have a ripple ac- just across the one ocean you know yeah for sure and i think on in terms of more recent events that's happened we are seeing this um ha- like really take form in a really scary way and i think the most recent example is something that we've both seen which um was so we are actually, like, as Salim has said before, this is Tuesday the 21st of February, um, not the 25th as to when this will be going out. Um, but on the 20th, um, Dr. Shola, who, um, if you don't know her, she appears on um, a lot of, like, talk shows and stuff like that, um, 
advocating for equal human rights um she talks about a lot about like racial politics yeah in, in the uk basically in in a in a in a manner of condemning yeah the nature and the climate of uk racial politics yeah. and she doesn't hold she doesn't hold back which is refreshing to see rather yeah, I, than sugarcoating stuff however sadly um she has received a uh, she's put this on twitter um she's received a letter hand delivered to her door so it hasn't got any stamp on it this this letter has been delivered through her letterbox um by its recip by another recipient the person that's written it um and i'm not going to go into the details of the letter um because it's just it's abhorrent it's abhorrent yeah abhorrent. i know we say abhorrent quite a lot on this show but i think this is probably one of the most accurate like, descriptions like in terms of actually definition yeah abhorrent. so this letter contains racial slurs directed at shola and her family multiple times um mm-hmm. um but i think the thing that's the worst is that it contains multiple threats, not just... No, so the the, the letter itself is an intention, yeah. is a notification of the intention to kill her. By yeah, the that's way, true. So Actually, it's threat not, probably isn't the right word. Yeah, like, no, no, no. It's, it's a notification of intent. Yeah. So it's not... The way we're saying it right now, like, you guys have to imagine, it's not... Because we hear all the time, of course, especially, like, black people in this country and abroad, like, they, they, they're so racially harassed, like they're always getting racial slurs thrown at them. This is not one of them, you know, someone sending you a little email like, he, 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 you're a this, you're a that. No, this is, um, it's called National Action. They are a far-right terrorist group in this country. um, And they have hand-delivered a letter through her door in which they say, this is a notification of our intention to kill you. They have stated her husband's name. They have stated her address, of course, because they've hand-delivered it. They have told her that she needs to leave this country, ASAP, otherwise they will literally murder her. Mm-hmm. And it's not, once again, an anonymous kind of troll that sends you racist messages on Twitter or a bot or that, an, an, you know, an anonymous face that emails you. It is a established terrorist organization in the uk who have already been in in the news for such related matters by the way which we'll touch on much later on um and they're not anonymous they have faces that you know their members some of their members are known to the public um to the authorities um and they have a stated um objective you know like that they have literally said our intention is to murder you they're not hiding well, it's just not even just her her and her family, her family we know that family. you walk around such and such an area we have such and such weapons like yeah and um so when i say that this is not just kind of like an, an anonymous force and that this is very very serious actually um, a member of the police force, I can't remember how long ago was this, I'm guessing maybe like in the last few years or whatever. Yeah, I saw was this. Was found yeah. to be a, a part of this group, right? So what we're talking about here is not just kind of like, you know, empty words. This is a real institutional issue from an established terrorist group, right? That's what we're talking about right here, right now. Uh, how can how can 
Can you imagine, yeah? Someone has literally sent you a death threat and a material death threat because they know where you live, they know who your husband is, they know where you get about, all of this, all of these things. And you know them as well, so you know what they're about and you know they'll do it. <clears throat> now, who are you going to go to? The feds. Exactly. The same, the same, the same force in which one of their members was found to be a part of this group that's now threatening to kill you and your family. Is that, is that who you're going to go to for help? I just really can't imagine that what I would be terrified. I would be, be terrified. Yeah. Like how, what do you do? How do you cope in that situation? Who do you go to? I honestly don't know. I feel like if you've got money, and this is just me hy- hypothesizing, I feel like if you've got money, maybe you would opt for private protection. But other than that, I don't know. If you don't, I don't know what you would do in that circumstance if you don't have trust in the people that are meant to protect you. And and even that is like absurd in itself. Why is a citizen and an ordinary citizen, she's not a... a, a um, a government member. She's not a politician. She's not what we call a protected person. She's a ordinary citizen. Why would she have to? Why should she have to pay for for private protection? Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's actually crazy. Like, and we know. Like, and and by the way, like this is one hundred percent what Carlos was saying. Like, this is in the same political climate that that killed Joe Cox, right? Yeah. Like. For, for for a very, very similar thing. <clears throat> it was a far-right terrorist organisation who ha- were very offended by the liberal values that she was preaching and that she stood for. And they yeah, murdered her. Yeah, literally in this letter they've said, like, you've been causing trouble. Exactly. Like... Exactly. Um, so this is 100% a very, very serious thing that, that, that needs to be treated as such, like... I only thing I can hope and uh, and it's really sad because I don't have much hope for this but like her really her only option is obviously like to pay for out of her own pocket for private protection but um <clears throat> th- there has to be a wider case against this right and um I just really hope the police take it seriously like I really hope the police take it seriously and I hope that there are some real convictions sorry I know I'm an abolitionist but pen <laughs> some people do need to be curtailed prison curtailed that's a very nice way to put it for their yeah. nefar the ne- what do you like to say nefar- nefarious <laughs> activities yeah uh, carlos's favorite word but yeah honestly it's it's not looking good from here on end even returning to brianna jai i checked on twitter earlier today and i know it's only um i know it's people will say oh what what does a tweet do but these days Social media statements are people making public statements, right? And oh, one hundred percent. Neither the prime minister nor the leader of the opposition has made any acknowledgement of the fact of this murder of a sixteen-year-old, a transgender girl, and it just—it's very sad to see. Which is why I saw at one vigil actually people started chanting "F K Starmer." And people were saying, yeah. the thing is, people were saying like, "Oh, way to politicize her death." But at the same time, I was kind of like, "Well, given what the Labour Party is, me- yeah, yeah, given what the Labour Party is meant to stand for, and not that it should matter anymore, but also, I'm pretty sure if it's within Warrington North, that's a Labour constituency as well." Like, mm-hmm, 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 yeah, 
exactly and also like once again it's it's difficult for us to say anything where official verdicts have not been reached but once again anyone with more than three brain cells will can guess for themselves what what the the context of her of her murder is and um if we're right then it's inherently political you know unfortunately so yeah all that to say like solidarity in it yeah for sure Right, we're going to play a bit more music now and when we come back from the break, Halima is going to finish off the episode with a chat with Moss Hanan. Hey, Mustafa! Tell the people what they can expect. Vibes! Pure <laughs> Bangladeshi vibes! <laughs> Chatting about his filmmaking and how he got into it, that sort of thing. Like, the kind of topics that he covers as well are really interesting as well. So, yeah, guys, stay stick tuned. around. Hey everyone, welcome back to Manga Masala. We are Pi Radio South Asian Show. And today I am joined by, you know what? Every time I go to say I am joined, I always think to say I am joined with is I'm joined by, I even have an English degree. Anyways, I'm joined by Moss Hanan. Hello, hello. <laughs> Audience reaction. You know what? Introduce yourself. My name's Moss. I'm an independent filmmaker. Um, that's about it, really, <laughs> for now. Um, yeah, so I mainly make stories on British, Asian and working class stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell, really. Enjoy combat sports. Most recent doc was on first British Bangladesh MMA fighter. Obviously, the first question first. How did you get into doing what you do? Yeah, good question. Um, to be honest, it was through ex- trying to explore ways to tell stories, essentially. Mm-hmm. And documentary filmmaking is one of them I've always been into media and and film Mm -hmm. so essentially after uni I thought okay I'm gonna go back to that now because I did American studies in politics and a lot of themes to explore in the British Asian experience was through academia but it kind of lacks I think it lacks a lot of accessibility and you know film as a medium to communicate a story can be very powerful impactful more so than a thesis or like academic material so you know that's where I kind of shifted my attention and for the last two years that's that's where I've been that's what I do it's what I do full-time now um so yeah that's it, it was mainly just trying to tell our community stories there's there's a lots to tell especially being a British Bangladeshi mm-hmm. come on um Get yeah it. exactly so um I found ourselves there's a lot to our history especially in the UK that hasn't really being opened up or acknowledged so yeah it was mainly through that you know so I do a lot the the community I I resonate a lot with what you're saying because I did like South Asian studies like literally I did specifically South Asian studies for my masters Mm. um and there is definitely and I and I did it for the same reasons like for storytelling history making world building all of those things right um and definitely i resonate strongly with what you're saying in terms of the gap between the academy and the grassroots Mm. Um, and i personally for me i haven't yet found a way to like bridge that gap because it is that kind of the academic the academy is kind of institutionally exclusionary right Mm -hmm. Um, and i love how you chose film as a kind of like 
um, to democratize access to these like stories, telling the stories, hearing the stories, learning the stories. Um, mm. Can you talk a little bit more about how you came to that point in your life when you decided like, okay, I want to be the person to tell these stories. Like, actually, this is really important. This is what I want to dedicate my career to. Um, It was more or less just being in, uh, involved in the academy, I suppose, and then realizing there's not too much written up, especially about ourselves by ourselves yes that's it yeah you no know? and then it was through that I'm like I mean it's not to say people aren't out there like yourself etc but still I felt like there's something I could do there's a vision I have mm -hmm. I saw for the stories I want to tell yeah um and I just thought look I'm gonna go out there and do it and, and yeah. that's it really you know it's like the most recent doc that the short I did on on Mark who was the first British Bangladesh MMA fighter like a lot of people don't know about him he has a great yeah. story you know he's a really interesting person so just to do that and I know him personally right so I thought I, I wish I want more people to know about Mark you know and through the doc yeah a lot of people now know him especially in the in the British Bangladeshi combat sports space you had a lot of people travel down to the screening yeah I saw congrats on that by the way looks sick yeah, thank you. You know, it did really well in Bangladesh, actually. The dog. Did it really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, was, I love that. Yeah, we screened it? quite a lot there. Um, oh, amazing! Love to yeah. see that. No, I hear that though. It's it is very much archival work, is it? Isn't it? Mm. Like, because like I work broadly within South Asian culture, politics, whatever history, um, but specifically like Bangladeshi, British Bangladeshi, and we are like institutionally disproportionately under underrepresented um, mm. in those spaces, especially like in the diaspora heartlands where like when people are talking about South Asian stories and South Asian people and South Asian impact on culture and stuff like that. We are so, imagine like, so I did my master's in South Asian studies. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to turn this about me. No, 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 go on, please. Just to testify to what you're saying. Um, I did do my master's in South Asian studies and it, it's, it's the best South Asian studies course in the world and it was it was mostly on india and pakistan like yeah. there wasn't there, there genuinely was not much on bangladesh at all and i specifically resonate with what you said about stories about us from us because mm. a lot of the times when bangladesh is written into it's kind of it's it's actually indian bengalis that write a lot about bangladesh i don't know mm. if you yeah, yeah, I've seen if that. Have you ever found that, like, if you, I don't know how much work you did specifically on, like, academic work on Bangladesh, but a lot of the times it's it's like high caste Hindu Indian Bengalis who are writing about poor lower caste Bang Bangladeshi Muslims, mm. and I'm like, it's just not, it's just not quite adding up, and and they're not telling, they'll tell you the kind of, this is another thing, they'll tell you the big histories, right? the smaller histories the everyday instances of like community building world building mm. history making for example stories like Khan, they just they don't get told right because they don't actually have that personal insight to know what would be resonant with those communities it's funny you say that because to touch on that um when it comes to like so the south asian diaspora like one thing i found was there's no really like collective South Asian or brown identity, of course. Even though like I might call myself like brown or something like that. I say this all the time. I talk about it on this show all the time. Yeah, exactly, you know. So the Bangladeshi or the British Bangladeshi or Bengali experience is mm -hmm. 
got its own, it, I mean, it's his own thing. And that's partly what I want to kind of get across. Um, yes, definitely, definitely. You know, yeah, you see it a lot within like popular culture, like politics, everyone's saying, oh, how could Rishi or, oh, what's, her, what's her name? Pretty yeah, like how all, Macau, all of them, man. We've been speaking about this on this yeah. show. Like, it, it really riles me up. Like, we get kind of we're we're all put under. We're all homogenized under this kind of umbrella label of British Asian, right? And and by that label, it's a political label as much as a social, political, cultural one. And and in in that context, you would think like someone like Rishi Sunak and ourselves, we belong to the same community, right? Yeah. Same political yeah. class, same social class. It's just not the case like and one thing i i always always resort to when i talk about this with people is that actually economically indian british indians they they are the wealthiest ethnic minority in yeah, the uk yeah, yeah, yeah. so for every one pound that a white british family has an indian a british indian family has 90 pence and in and british bangladeshis have 10 pence yeah, so yeah. we are consistently so along with um black africans the poorest ethnic minority how can you have such a dissonance between those two demographics and then still say like okay we're just going to group them under one label and also like a lot of um asian like conservatives they're made mm. up of british indians whereas british bangladeshis we have out of all the demographics we have the highest percentage of labor votes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Are like almost it's 99 percent left-leaning mm, mm. It is, it is. We're at the bottom of the barrel. Um. <laughs> yeah, and definitely the 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 diasporic context mirrors the regional context. If we look what's going on in South Asia, like the way the Bangladeshi body is racialized and criminalized, mm. and alienized all over, even the subcontinent, it is there's much to be said. Much to be said. So I'm glad that that's an objective of yours to actually distinctly carve out that mm. enclave of actually no we're not just British Asian we're specifically British Bangladeshi it's important as well in like every context especially politically as well you know and we're discussing these sort of things you know, in regards to race relations etc so you wanted to tell stories and you decided that media and film was the best way to do that you already have an interest in media how did you go from turning a kind of a self-interest into like an actual material ability capacity career job the passion projects never pay uh so we'll start with that. Yeah, that yeah so that is just because i want to get the stories out there and something i'm passionate about and then shooting the documentary on mark was a great experience um it's through that like i can't do nine to fives etc i really really don't like them um so the more time i spent in film the more i just thought okay Basically, I lost my job in last year, around June. And then I was just there thinking, nah, I'm, I'm going to just take my chances, move to London and try and do film. Not easy. No. Uh, no, just take anything. There is production assistant, runner, whatever. Just make your ends meet. Yeah. But I've been lucky. I have to say, alhamdulillah, like it, it's working out, you know, and it gives me more time to train, do what I want to do if I want to go. Yeah. Obviously, I'm still looking to compete I haven't done it in a little while but you know so just being freelance gives me more time so literally just taking work anywhere I can and it's nice being your own boss because you don't have to respond to anyone you know 
you don't have to listen to anyone like that. I can do my own thing, but it is tough. But there's a few more other passion projects. Like the main thing with Docs is getting the funding. So can you tell us a little bit about that? The actual process of um, okay, I I've decided I want to do this project. I want to do it on this person. I want to do it on this subject. How did you make that a reality? Like for me, like if someone said to me, like go make a documentary, me I'll be filming it on my phone. Ah. <laughs> I'll be filming it on my phone. I want to know where to start. Like who do you contact? How like? Yeah. how what do you do how do you do it like it's a good question um you know what it did start with the phone not for this one but yeah. literally ages ago I was just dabbling with the idea over lockdown like you know I miss this it's something I want to do so I just got my phone out I was playing with that literally just any way you can is is how it happens you know whatever mm. you can do I just started filming my mate saying look can you talk about your research paper and just talking to the camera but when it came to the no documentary on Mark I was like um all right I'm gonna use a camera etc I wasn't very good at using a camera my mate Shubo who's a cinematographer on the doc was a lot better um I've always just kind of directed that's been my thing I've learned I learned it through the process I thought okay I'm gonna use this as a process to learn as well yeah. I always wanted to do something with Mark but I never knew what I always thought like a, a way before I was into film like maybe a podcast or getting an article or something but then obviously when I found myself in film because it started off with me being a researcher. There was a there was supposed to be a doc on East London Mask, but yeah. it fell through, but I was supposed to be a researcher for it. Um, oh, okay. So it, it's through that, just working on other things. And then it just clicked, it just all started into place. You're like, okay, I got the research interest and the knowledge, yeah. the media yeah. knowledge. I've been wanting to do this. And then you just kind of went for it. How did you get funding? Yeah, with this one I didn't. It's self-funded. Yeah, like, well, it was on a budget. We didn't spend a lot, so it was all right. We, you we, though. Yeah, we pulled it out of the bag somehow. It was, it was crazy, to be honest. But, like, it was like this. I just called up Mark. And I, was, I messaged him. I was like, can I chat to you about something? And he thought I had, like, bad news for him. I was like, Mark, you're all right. And he's like, yeah, what's, what's up? I was like, no, nothing bad. I just thought, can I do a documentary on you being the first? Oh, bless. And, um... He was like, yeah, I suppose so, if it, if it helps you. So I thought, all right, yeah, okay. Next day, he calls me up and he's like, oh, Moz, we can talk about this, we can talk about that. Um, and then I was like, all right, well, I need a bit more of a crew. Yeah. So then I contacted my friend Shuba. I was like, do you want to do this with me? It's on Mark and he loves MMA. He loves kickboxing and boxing, um, just like us. So he was like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and then my other mates that I went to college with who were really arty and crafty, but ever since they got their, their jobs and finished uni, yeah. it's hard to find the time. So I just rang them all up, like, listen, do you want to come on board with this and just just be there? Just come on set, like, just just let's just have a laugh. Mm-hmm. So then we started shooting the first day of Ramadan at four in the morning. Oh, um, damn, okay. Yeah, we went to the gym, um, Bally's Boxing Gym. Mm. and it was freezing and it looked like we were robbing the place and we were trying to get it set up and so much happened man like my my hard drive got nicked my car got smashed into everything gone what like separately to your filming it or like after i filmed it like um two weeks after um yeah just like it was been it's, it's it's been such a mad process but like You've really got to be resilient, isn't it? Like, yeah, I think filmmakers have to be really because people don't realize how hard it is and how grueling it is. Like, mm. the editing took so long because so much happened. Like, we so much of the footage got corrupted. My hard drive was found. The police actually did their job for once, found the hard drive. <laughs> yeah. 
And then the guy wiped it. So we did a data recovery. It took 16 hours. Right in the last 10 minutes, Shubo trips over the wire, pulls it out. <laughs> so like so so much happened, man. And then and then we reshot because Wait, so we what did you have to do? Go another 16 hours. I went home because he was in London at the time. I was still in Portsmouth. So yeah, another 16. And then it still didn't work because it got corrupted. So half the of the Yeah. Oh my God. Like everything we went through, waking up at four at night before. I never we used um I've never used the Sony system before. So we were using the Sony system and I was like, I ain't got a clue. So we were just YouTubing the whole thing. Yeah. Didn't have any like uh food and, and for breakfast, obviously, because it was we were fasting. Oh, it, yeah. was, it, it was a nightmare it was a nightmare and then more more things went wrong that around the time when i lost my job and stuff like that just so much was was going wrong at that time you say when it rains it pours i was saying that to myself at, it was at that point i was like look if anything else happens i'm ready for it i hope it all comes now like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it can't get any worse than it than it already is the, i cannot be attested anymore but it all paid off though like it actually all paid off so you have not since released the documentary. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of? I know you said you had like a really good screening and um. Yeah, it went really well. How do you distribute? Because that's like a whole other process as well, isn't it? Like, where is it available? Where do you like? How does that? I don't know anything. How does that work? Yeah, that is a whole thing in itself, like documentary distribution. It, it, mm. That's the other part of it. You know, we're we'll talking about like documentaries and films are a lot more accessible. Obviously. It's got to be good, but yeah. on top of that, where is it going to go? To get it on broadcast or a streaming platform or somewhere that is accessible is really difficult. Yeah, because you don't want to put in all that work and it's just sitting on your own hard drive. Like It's tough. It's so hard. There's so many good films out there that people don't know about. Um, mm. It's just getting it somewhere so people can watch it and people know about it. It's, it's really, really hard. and some It's a rewarding, but it's very unrewarding as well. So with this one, because it's short, it's only about 15 minutes. Like, yeah. It's got one more festival to do and then we're going to just chuck it on YouTube because everyone's like, where can we watch it? And YouTube's very accessible these days. Mind yeah. you, there's a million ads, but, um, you know, that's probably the best place to put it. We could put it on Vimeo, but yeah, I think that's where, where it will end up. Tell us a little bit more about these festivals. Okay, so it was in Boston, Boston Film Festival. We got quarterfinals. That was cool. Oh, that was cool. How, how does that happen? Like, what, do you just like submit it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. Submit it it's really tough to get into festivals it really is well congrats then yeah Boston did well and then it went to Dhaka but right before it went to Dhaka they took it to like every major university in every district oh I love that yeah 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 it was really cool um, and then it finished off in Dhaka University yeah where else was it it was in Colombia in Colombia Bogota like university there a lot of universities took it they really liked it Um. what watching it as a part of like just watching it or were they studying something specifically like no 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 it's part of the festival so they're just watching it judging it like it was part of the short documentaries um lineup. oh yeah 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 so it was it was cool that like that was fun thing to say like i was talking to my mate the other day and he was like i really want to go to Colombia. i was like oh my you know my film was there it got screened there yeah crazy. Like, yeah 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 it was it was interesting um well, that makes all the hard work worth it like all them 4am starts and 16 hour hard yeah. drive the best thing was the Portsmouth screening when it screened in Portsmouth like so many people came people drive up like from from London they were like yo we saw the dark like 
we saw a post over on Instagram. We came down. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it was it was really hectic. Um, yeah, I was just running around like more and more people kept coming in, kept coming in, and me and Mark were like bloody hell. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was really good, really good night, really good. So people really liked it. I was nervous, like I was so nervous, and Mock was really nervous. Like Mock was the last one in the screening room. Mm. Oh, he was like, I'm gonna wait out here. I'm like, no, no, you gotta go in. He's like. That's so affirming for him as well. Like, it's actually his story that everyone's like, because obviously there's credit to you and the way that you tell the story, but it is kind of at the base of it, it's his story. Yeah. It's very, very affirming, you know? And I think it's just testimony to the power of filmmaking and storytelling. Mm, definitely. You know, people are actually probably more interested in the bloopers cut. So I'm going to put a blooper, because Mock is such a funny guy. He's just the proper there's no other way to say it other than he's just a proper geezer and it's really like because he's really bengali at the same time so really it's a really interesting one cool uh can you tell us a little bit about the other work, other works that you have worked on other films because you did kind of start giving me a little teaser and i said i cut the conversation short because i was like let's let's save this for radio because there is a plot twist <laughs> yeah i don't know how much i should say i don't know who's listening to it like it's a bit of a mad one, this one. Um, I, I had a mate that I went to uni with and he studied politics. He was in the politics course with me. Mm -hmm. And he, long story short, he was in a group chat. Group chat got reported. He ends up on Prevent. And if you don't know what that is, it's a counter-terrorism measure that mm -hmm. it's a list in it. It's like a register. He got put on that for being a white supremacist. But he's not white. Um, huh? Yeah, yeah, he's not. He's so not. that's right. So this is what my I'm going to talk you through my roller coaster of emotions. When you said, "Oh, a documentary was made about my friend who was on Prevent," I'm thinking. So obviously, a little bit of political context here. Prevent is largely has 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 been used in a lot of ways as a weapon of Islamophobia. And before Carlos has to cut in and say allegedly. Um, go listen to the Trojan Horse Affair podcast. It is like it's a proven phenomenon. Thank you for the thumbs up, Carlos. <clears throat> so that's why I have to clarify. This isn't speculation. There is There has been a whole investigative podcast literally called Trojan Horse Affair. Do go check that out if you haven't. Um, and, it, and, it, and it literally proves, it is an investigation that proves how Prevent was, has and continues to be used um, as you know, a weapon of Islamophobia. So that's why when you said um, your mate was on prevent, I'm thinking obviously like you're Muslim, you're, I'm assuming your friend Muslim, I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. then well, you say white supremacists, I'm thinking who are you hanging out with? Yeah, I know. Like, but here's the mad bit, right? So since 2000, when did it come out? And so prevent got launched as part of contest, didn't it? Um, right. Since 2004, but it was like the, the vast majority were young Muslims. Yeah. That were getting uh, referred or prevented, etc. Right until about 2016, 20, 2017, there was a new initiative launched within Prevent, which was right. Okay, the there's a higher risk of far right radicalization right now, even though that's always been an issue. Like they didn't just yeah. come out of nowhere. Like, that's always, but there's now a, a, a shift of focus on them. But then they're still getting the Muslims because of my yeah. mate. Like what's going on? It doesn't make sense. So, like, somehow you're still getting the Muslims. Oh, so he got done for... So your friend is a Muslim. 
Oh yeah, he's a brown Muslim. Like he's and he's not right wing at all. He's the most. Well, he got done under the offense of like white supremacist right wing ideology. At the airport. He got so, what? Yeah, he got stopped on the way to America. But like the guy just kept looking at him and then looking at the report apparently, and you can't believe it because if I showed you a picture of it, he looks. If he's going to look like anything, he's going to look like the complete opposite. Yeah, you want to accuse him of being like Taliban or something. Yeah, yeah, make on, it like, believable. Do you know what I mean? When he come up to him, he's like, guys, I got prevented. Like, yeah, you should have used the VPN. He's like, no, 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 for white supremacy. We're like, oh. what? Like, you not have a full, fully like established instrument of of yeah. disproportionately incarcerating young Muslims. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to use that. You wanna you wanna make us <laughs> believe he's a white supremacist. So what was their what was the basis of their like how much I want to say, I don't know, because it's, it's one of these ones, like... Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, we had to speak to lawyers and stuff like that before. Okay, if it's legal implications, let's not get ourselves implicated. Let's just say this, yeah, the actual white supremacists weren't referred. Oh. Right, does that make sense? And I'm talking actual white supremacists. I'm talking bringing a eugenicist into debate society. Yeah, talking... right. Okay, okay then. Like praising what? the British Union of fascists, like... Like, uh, the uni was, like, warfare, man. How, so then, go on, t tell us a little bit about this documentary then. Like, what, how did you go about doing that, like? Well, it was nearly done, and then, and then we shifted how we wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. Because it's actually, although it's funny, we kept it funny, because it is funny, but then we're like, and after speaking to a lot of people, showing it to a few execs, we were like, Okay, maybe there's it's actually quite serious. Like there's actually Yeah, but it's not funny, is it? It's serious. Yeah, so we're just thinking about how we're gonna go around it. Um and we've got a bit of funding for it, which is good. Okay, that's good. Yeah. It's a bit it's it's I'm I'm like interested in hearing like hearing you say that it was initially a joke, because it's obviously the the what mm. this is is that like it's so ludicrous it's comical like it's comical precisely because it is so absurd yeah actually it's not funny it's serious yeah. like it is a comment on like institutional islamophobia in our opinion to be honestly i'm genuinely fascinated even just hearing you talk about it i am honestly very fascinated by mm. all of it oh it's thank ridiculous. you yeah, well, I'm excited I'll let you... to, to see to watch it when it comes out. Yeah, it's taking time, but mm -hmm. hopefully, it'll be out this year at some point. Fantastic. Okay, cool. So, to wrap things up, then, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to do? What's in the pipeline for you? What is kind of like the ultimate goal for you in all of this? It's interesting because the this dark like eye for an eye about the MMA fight. It was interesting because I merged like both my passions, which was. Yeah. MMA kickboxing and I met Mock through competing like he used to corner my he didn't corner my fights but he'd warm me up before I'd fight so me I've known Mock for a long time so so what you do kickboxing as well yeah so I was a kickboxer and I met Mock at the gym I didn't know he was Bengali I walked oh. yeah so I walked in the gym and because my gym got shut down in my local area so I branched out and I did my first session with this guy and Mock does not look Bengali. He looks anything but Bengali. And I'm walking off. I was about 16 at the time. And he, this guy just turns around like, hey, do you know Kita Khorai? I was like... Word down, what to you? Yeah, I'm thinking, what's that? so funny. And I turn around, I'm like, did you say that? He's like, yeah. I was like, 
how how do you know Bengali? He's like, who f- sorry, I don't even know if I should swear, but he was like, I am Bengali. And I was like, no. He's like, yeah. And then we hear off, he's great. We, you know, we, we trained a lot together. And I like that. I like that it's very organic storytelling. It's a story that you know. Like, oftentimes, I feel like so many stories and histories and personas are so misrepresented because people want to tell the story for the sake of being the person who told the story yeah. rather than the fact that they've got a personal stake on it like it's oftentimes like that's I think that's where a lot of a lot of people can go wrong um so I really appreciate the fact that like it is very much organic storytelling for you it is people that you know it's experiences that you have been privy to you know like he's a pompy lad as well he's from Portsmouth can you believe it so the, the Bengali community is big there now, but at the time, that was part of the reason I wanted to tell the story because I, I never met a Bengali. Fo- There's obviously loads in like East London and stuff like that, but I'm not yeah, from yeah. there. Obviously, spent time there, but I never like saw them. Yeah. The closest oh. thing we had was Amir Khan and Prince Nassim. But then, um, when I met Mark, it was, it was pretty cool because it was just white people where I'm from, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Mark is like, yeah, he fought at a high level, and he's Bengali. You know? Yeah. Like, he doesn't see it, but a lot of us in the gym or a lot of us younger generations kind of look at him and think, well, you know, you, you really did it. Yeah, it's so impactful in so many ways. Yeah, it makes, it makes you proud. And he really cares about the youth. He's sick. He's a oh. sick guy. He coaches kids. He doesn't charge a penny. Oh, wow. Anyone, if anyone wants a one-to-one with him, you know, he could be charging a lot of money, but he never charges, you know. So exactly. we, we show that through the doc, like what he's up to now. You know how how he's coaching the kids because obviously he had a career changing injury. Mm. So how does one deal with that? Because we didn't want to just make the film about him being the first British Bangladeshi. Like he's more than just that label. He is a person with a story. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, it'd be a bit dry and make it like two three minutes. But nah, here here is someone that been through something. So mm. you know, I think everyone can relate to his story a bit. Love that. Okay, yeah. So so where where do you want to take this? What's the ideal kind of outcome career-wise for you? In regards to filmmaking, it's, you know, I've got one project that I've been working on for, for a few years now, so getting that out. and Yes, which I know about, which is a secret, we can't tell you. Yeah, but yeah. I'm very, very much rooting for this. Uh, oh, thank you very much. Um, Yeah, I think that will be good. I think once that's done, we will see. But I'm my main aim is just to make sure like the stories that I want to tell mm-hmm. are not because it's me, but because of the stories and I want to get them out there and hopefully they have an impact. And that's that's it really. Me and my personal life, I just want to get back to training and competing. Obviously, I'm training again, had a few injuries and yeah, I miss I miss competing and kickboxing. Mm-hmm. So hopefully get back to that. But apart from that, it's just making that making that film that's so interesting like a lot of the times when you ask people about career goals they'll kind of have certain like milestones i want to be i want to do this and i want to and i want to hit this and i want to do that blah 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 blah. but for you it's very much like i'm going where the stories take me you know yeah you know, it's, it's, it's tough it's tough getting them out there and that's the thing i just want it to get out there and hit a large audience oh, you know and then once that's done and it and it does something then I don't know, I'll figure it out from there on because I'm always someone that's doing something, don't know what I'm doing, but I'll figure it out. Filmmaking, obviously, I love it. I want to tell more stories um, and that's something I think I'll continue to do. What advice would you give to budding filmmakers? I say I'm still one myself. Yeah. Google, yeah, sit down and, and just watch and YouTube. Like, there's so much content out there. 
just figure out how to tell the story. The main thing is the storytelling. And that's what I learn. And I'm still learning. I've got so much still to learn in everything. But it's just sit down and figure out how to, because you will have a subject, find your character, make sure it's a powerful character that can take you on a journey through your narrative arc. And then whatever means you have, whether it, because you can shoot like the latest iPhones, Matt, like you can shoot a film on them if that's how you want to do it. But just find a way to be creative and make it look good as well. I, I like aesthetics a lot. Yeah. Things, you know just put your own spin on it but definitely try as hard as you can to get a robust narrative arc and then the story should do the job for you there's a yeah. lot of docs that don't they're not shot on the best things they're not they don't look the best but it's the story that carries you through mm-hmm. so that's main thing you know and just get stuck in there don't i know but for those of our listeners who want to find you who want to interrupt with you who want to reach out to you where can you give us your social handles i'm, I'm only on instagram really it's okay. it's at hot.chocolate underscore han. It's a weird tag, but yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Anyways, guys, we'll catch up with you soon. Love you lots. Kisses. Bye.